Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, guys. Our episode today is really about the gut microbiome, and my guest is Dr. Grace Liu, otherwise known as the Gut Goddess. She is the founder of the Gut Institute, and she is all about the microbiome. Now, one of the things that Dr. Grace has also dove into quite heavily over the last couple of years, actually, are peptides. And so we talk about peptides, we talk about gut health, we talk about the microbiome, we talk about all those things. So Dr. Grace is an authority in this area. She has just released a practitioner course. So if you're a medical doctor or a functional medicine practitioner, and you're listening to this episode, you're going to want to check that out. You can go to the gutinstitute.com forward slash Nat. You can get information about the practitioner course. And for those of you who are not practitioners, you can actually go shopping for some of the amazing products that we talk about here. And you can save 10% with discount code Nat10. And I'm actually pretty sure that that discount code might save you a few bucks on that practitioner course as well. So you're going to want to check out the episode first to drink in some of her wisdom. And then you might just have to go to the gutinstitute.com. And if you are looking for Dr. Grace herself, you can also find her on Instagram as the gut goddess. Check out the episode. You know how grateful I always am to have you here. If you get value from this episode and you know anybody else who you think would as well, then make sure that you forward it to your friends, your family, your networks, wherever. And if you're feeling inspired, make sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this to, because this is how we get found by more people just like you. So to connect with me, you can go to my website, natnidham.com, and that's where you can also learn about my new Mighty Networks community called the BSP community. And on that, in that community, not only do you get to do live Q&As with me, but you also get live Q&As with a lot of the experts that I host on the podcast. And I'm pretty sure that at some point in the next few months, Dr. Grace is going to be there as well. So thank you so much for being here. Totally appreciate you guys. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then you get to dive in. Enjoy. Hey, folks, just a quick minute to thank our sponsor for this episode, Oxford HealthSpan, makers of Primadine, the only spermidine supplement that I personally use and recommend to my clients and family. Spermidine has earned a permanent spot on my longevity stack. Research has shown that spermidine positively impacts six of the nine hallmarks of aging, including protecting your DNA from damage as you age. Regular users also experience visible results after just one to three months, including better hair, skin, nails, and deeper sleep. I choose Primadine because it is the only spermidine supplement on the market that is free of any additives or excipients, while including a prebiotic to feed your own bacteria to make more of your own spermidine. And now Primadine also has a gluten-free version. To try Primadine, go to primadine.com and use discount code BIONAT15 to save 15% off your purchase. And now let's get back to the episode. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. 
All right. Welcome to the podcast, Grace, Dr. Grace Liu. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. Such a pleasure. It's a gift to have you. We met in Vegas in person for the first time last September. I was totally starstruck because I'm like, oh my God, this is the gut goddess herself. And literally that is your handle on Instagram. And you know, talking to you for 10 minutes, I'm like, oh my God, she really is the gut goddess <laughs> and the founder of the Gut Institute, which is so aptly named. So Grace, I wanted to ask you just as we start here, as a pharmacist, what got you into this line of work? Like, you know, as a pharmacist, you could have gone anywhere. Typically, we think of pharmacists as those people behind the counter that count out our pills. And if we're lucky, might give us a piece of advice when we're taking a prescription. But you've gone so far beyond that. So maybe tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to be the gut goddess of the Gut Institute. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a kind of convoluted journey for sure. Like a lot of people who get into biohacking or integrative functional medicine. Um, I actually started off, um, I uh, was a um, extended care kind of pharmacist. So I had extra clinical training. I had a residency at the VA, um, a beautiful location in La Jolla. And, um, and I also had uh, teaching responsibilities. So I uh, became had adjunct uh, professorship um, and taught at two pharmacy schools and had residents and pharmacy, PharmD candidates uh, rotate with me and lectured. And I, I love the component where um, we were, you know, teaching about evidence-based medicine. It was all evidence-based medicine based, you know, how to reduce high blood pressure. I, I taught a lot of group classes as well, diabetes. I was an educator for certified diabetes education and, you know, did a lot of insulin starts. So injections and uh, carb counting with uh, folks. And, you know, what struck me as you know, the internet you know widened our understanding of things. I was able to pull primary literature, and I would I would I was doing these lectures for like peptic ulcer or um, uh, uh, PMDD, which is premenstrual syndrome in women, uh, and these medications had no hardly any improvement over placebo. And then I had, uh, you know, patients uh, and managed some of their medications or did uh, counseling with them. Um, and some would just reduce like gluten or stop dairy gluten. And literally they get off seven, eight, 20 drugs. One lady, she was in a wheelchair. Her uh, rheumatologist referred her to me because she wanted to um, stop all her meds. And I had to counsel her, you know, don't stop your medications, polypharmacy, you know, but hey, you know, if you're interested, if you and your family are interested, just stop gluten. You know, she had uh, she had polyrheumatology uh, with no NOS, no known reason. Like it wasn't rheumatoid. It wasn't OA. She stopped gluten. Literally, she was she came to me in a wheelchair with her family. Literally, the next visit, she came back. She was out of her wheelchair. And then she told me, I'm not coming back race. I got to go run around and go live my life. And she was like giving testimonials at her church. Um, her family were ecstatic and happy. Um, she, she was able to gain her life back. So this is when I really learned the power of um, diet, nutrition. I mean, I'm so grateful. I've always been into nutritional science. My background at, I went to Cal, Berkeley, UC Berkeley, and studied food science and nutrition. I mean, I was always overweight. I was hoping I would get the holy grail, how to lose weight. You know, in my teens and 20s and even my early 30s, I was really overweight. And, you, you know, with childbirth, like, I, I had two, I have two kids. And with each child, I gained, like, 70, 80 pounds. Like, I was one, like one of those celebrities who just went crazy. Um, and it was, it was actually easy to get off, um, get lose weight after each birth because you know what? I wasn't on birth control. Mm, interesting. Mm. 
Yeah, I was really heavily damaged by artificial uh, hormones. So the synthetic things really don't work for me. So I love like this world of peptides you've opened up for me, Natalie. I mean, you're such an amazing uh, integrator of information and educator, teacher, guider, uh, full of wisdom, because these are bioidentical um, little hormones, basically, and they heal the body, right? They are made in a factory, but they're bioidentical as much as we, as, as far as we know. So I had my healing journey. I kind of hit this slump 13 years ago with chronic fatigue. Earlier, I had Hashimoto's and probably other autoimmune diseases, but the only one I was aware of is, is Hashimoto's. And that's prevalent in my family. You know, my dad's a doctor, a surgeon. We got every antibiotic under the earth. So talk about overutilization that we were like poster child. And then each one of my siblings, we developed an autoimmune disease. My parents don't understand it. They're both doctors and they think we're weird. You know, they're high, fine, healthy, but they also got like, they didn't have running water. They didn't have toilets growing up. You know, they lived in dirt. Their, their favorite probiotic, that's called dirt. <laughs> Mother nature's probiotic. If you can get yeah, exactly. dirt not filled with chemicals these days, which right. is its own problem. Right. And they also rarely got antibiotics. They really got healthcare, you know? So if someone got asthma, they usually would die. If they got pneumonia, usually they would die, right? Or malaria, you know, if it was severe enough, they would just die. And I'm, so I'm grateful for antibiotics. I have had various health crises, you know, and I need an antibiotic. So I'm really grateful for where we've come. But now we need tech to kind of get us out of where we are. Because now tech has created this bubble of disease, epidemic of psychosis, you know, crazy, you know, mental illness. Now we need a little tech to get us out. So I'm really grateful for all the tools available because we, we have all the protocols and evidence-based medicine actually to get us out of it. And I, and I teach, I teach on our platform, the Gut Institute to clinicians, coaches, integrative doctors about the, the protocols that really, really work. And they're all uh, followed up and backed up by evidence-based medicine. A lot of it's microbiome medicine. I mean, I'm really grateful for different <clears throat> academic uh, folks like uh, Patrice Canny out in Belgium. You know, he's really made the connection and his, his articles in the uh, uh, PNAS and New England Journal all over the place, you know, really share how the connection is between chronic illnesses <clears throat> and mental diseases as well with our microbiome and how manipulation of the microbiome, so, so, uh, you know, will fix all, a lot of it. And so I love actually going into PubMed. Um, you can put in my, manipulating or microbiome manipulation you'll find amazing articles because this is exactly what we do. We do little protocols. Sometimes we have to use pharmaceuticals even. So, you know, tech will, will help us get out of where we are and, um, and potent probiotics. You know, when I went to pharmacy school, no one of us would have thought like poop would cure anybody or, or save a life that eating poop, you know, would save a life. But now we do, we have evidence of that. There are clinical trials that literally show 80 to hundred percent recovery of clostridium, difficile colitis, which is a, a lethal life-threatening disease. It kills 30, 40, over 45,000 people a year, depending on, you know, the country you look at. And this is the only, this, it's a common condition, which is a result of overuse of, anti, of our tech, of overuse of antibiotics. So the fetal transplant. Poop transplant, FMT. Uh, the FMTs, those are, but still very specialized. I mean, I think that you have to be careful. Yeah, I would consider that there are a lot of caveats. Yeah. I think she was in my group. There was a woman who couldn't find a doctor that would help her with the FMT for her son. And she somehow knew that this kid, like, I think he was in such rough shape. And uh, she knew that her boy needed a fecal transplant. And she convinced her husband to be the donor. And, you know, keeping it in the family. So, which is, you know, which is kind of cool, right? Because... The, the tricky thing with the FMTs is you're getting genetic material, like you're getting all kinds of stuff here. 
And um, and in in her case, for her son, it was transformative. It was a small young child. They, I guess, encapsulate, they encapsulated the fecal matter. Okay. You take it as a capsule and to your point. Yeah. So there's a couple of reviews, you know, where they drill down the factors that help. Um, One is actually familial if it's in the family. Yeah. I don't know if it's because of genetics and there's less immune, you know, misalignment. Yeah. That's the problem when there's immune misalignment with uh, a broad, you know, academic center that does FMT. They're getting 10, 20, 30 donors into one sample. So it's, it's a, it's a lot of microbes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and they, they don't screen for a lot of things. They can't. They they don't screen. They only screen, you know, for the basic things. But um, you know, they're they're probably likely missing a lot of viral overgrowths, fungal overgrowths, uh, co-infections, even STDs. You know, that are off the radar. Maybe um, you know they're only screening the major microbes, um, but they're missing a lot. And um, yeah, when you get into like 20, 30 donors, that's that's kind of creepy a lot of yeah that you're taking a lot of chances at that point right and, yeah, and also partly why they work is look uh, in, a, in an academic center they give an antifungal and an antibacterial okay the prep right so in our protocols we do use um botanicals and then if necessary certain um pharmaceuticals depending on the state of someone coming in because once you know there's a certain number of overgrowths it doesn't it's not harmful when we have plenty of probiotics, the key is the number. So within FMT, they probably get about a trillion bacteria in the dosage. Mm-hmm. Like usually, you know, put it with water, hundred CCs and they do a nasal gastric tube or a tube directly to the jejunum. Um, so you don't smell it necessarily, you know, totally, but, um, or capsules, poop capsules. Um, I prefer curated. Yeah. Um, uh, microbiome, you know, type of um, replacements. So we know there's like uh, a, a number of keystone flora that are important. When we're start, we're starting to miss that. That's like a wealth count. You know, if you start missing all your assets, your 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 overall wealth is just going to go down. Your wealth index. So we want diversification, right? And then you want like you know diversification into you know different things, stable things like bonds, right? And then stock is a percentage. Um, real estate's a percentage. So that's like our, our, our real estate in our gut lining as well, too. We have acromancia. Mm-hmm. It's one to 5% of healthy stools. And then we have bifidos. I call these the ABCs. So bifidos are really missing in the Western world because of antibiotics, mostly antibiotics. Um, a lot of women don't know if you get induced with Pitocin, you get an IV antibiotic while you're in the hospital. They're wiping out all your microbiome and your milk the floor in the milk and your next generation is not likely to get anything good. Yeah. So bifido is always missing in actually every study I look at bifido longum and our, our probiotic is the highest strength on the, in the market, in the industry. Most, most probiotics, like if you look at consumer labs at the time of manufacture or, you know, comparing to time of manufacture to time of delivery, um, they're only overstuffed by 10 to 15%. We overstuffed by 500 to 800%. Like when we see 100 billion on here, we actually have 500 to 800 billion. Wow. And so we we stand behind the product. I wanted something that really worked. It's not highly profitable, as you can imagine, uh, compared to other brands. Um, But I stand behind it, and it really, really works. That's why we have phenomenal shifts in health with people who do um, our programs, particularly the Gut Reset. And because it's overstuffed, it's almost like an FMT dose when we when we get up to 
10 capsules a day because so, it's 100 billion getting up to 10 you're getting about a trillion and if you're lucky maybe five to ten trillion actually that's almost an fmt value for what's missing highly highly missing in all our mucosa for women even our breasts our breast tissues have a microbiome men and women our bladder tissues have a microbiome you know nothing sterile you know placenta is not sterile that that was um discovered you know not long ago yeah, so we so the the B is bifido, but we also have half our gut is bacteroides, and then the C is clostridiolus. Clostridiolus is really important because they make something a postbiotic called butyrate. Yes, half our gut, yeah, makes sixty percent of the saturated fats uh, that floating around in our in our bloodstream. They're called volatile because you can kind of smell them. They taste buttery, smell buttery, they smell pukey a little. Um, but um, butyrate, as you know, is very healing. We have capsules of butyrate now, or infusions, or enemas of butyrate that heal the gut colitis. They're excellent, excellent. You can eat a lot of butter, but you probably eat like 10, 20 pounds. I calculated once. It's a lot of butter. I, you know, you can do your bulletproof, but it's not exactly the same thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. So, well, is the other half of our gut. 40 to 60% is bacteroides B. Uh, another 40 to 60% is clostridiolus. It kind of depends on your enterotype. You know, if you eat more lentils, grains, you know, you're a certain type. And then if you eat more meat, bacteroides is kind of omnivorous in the gut. It eats everything, including protein and fats. Clostridiolus, they eat more straight up fiber, especially complex carbs, cooked resistant starches, uh, the outside of the husk of a grain or lentil or bean. Okay. So this is how we feed the gut. And this has been since the dawn of time. Since the dawn of time, we we nibbled on veggies and stems and leaves and twigs and shit. <laughs> Usually herbivore shit, like giraffe shit or rhino, rhino shit. Well, it's funny because people often will say, you know, since the beginning of time, if you could catch a woolly mammoth, it was a lot easier to feed a tribe off a woolly mammoth than it would off of leaves and twigs and whatever. Which Absolutely. Is, but the woolly mammoth was the luxury food in between woolly mammoth successful kills or hunts, if you will, mm -hmm. we are opportunity. We would be opportunistic feeders, right? We would have to eat whatever the heck we could catch, which was probably easier things that are inert and can't possibly kill you back. So yeah. I think that, you know, there's, there's some interesting narratives in the world right now. And I, I do think that we'll never win by going to one extreme or the other. I think that if we're smart, we recognize that the human entity was born to be omnivorous and yeah. we have to refine our balance in the environment we're in which has nothing to do with the environment we were in back yeah. then, right? like i mean our ancestors didn't have to deal with the mfs and didn't have to deal with pollution to the degree that we do or so many you know they dealt with stress probably chronic stress because they were pretty sure that around every tree trunk, there was something waiting to kill them or eat them or whatever. So I think this idea that they lived these idyllic lives that were free of stress is probably this fairy tale notion that we've created for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, probably. I kind of concur. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause resource, I mean, I've gone hiking and uh, camping. It's like, well, what the fuck, how do you find food out here? Like it's pretty tough. <laughs> It's pretty hard job. I would easily lose weight like within a, a few weeks. <laughs> so, okay. So we know our three main species, let's say, are the Acromantia, the Bacteriides, and the Clostridialis. Yes. One of the things I think that, and we've talked a little bit about FMT, which I didn't think we were going to, but we did. Um, 
So what I think there's a lot of confusion before we get into specifics about, you know, talking about the microbiome for immunity or um, dealing with gut healing and stuff like that. Before we get there, I think there's a lot of confusion in the market about people trying to they're like, okay, so my microbiome's a mess. So how do I test my microbiome? Because really we don't yet have the holy grail of what the perfect microbiome is. May There may not be a perfect microbiome, but we know that some are better than others. Should they just, and, and we get this question all the time, like should children be taking probiotics and what probiotics should people be taking? I know that when I went to school for nutrition, what I was taught is, yeah, sure, probiotics are great, but don't be taking the same ones over and over again, because ultimately the diversity that you need in your gut can't possibly be addressed by one single probiotic. Cause you know, people, they find a brand they like and that's the religion, right? So what are your thoughts on probiotics and, and that? yeah, there's, there's, there's not enough studies really, honestly, but, but the few studies, you know, that I, I love looking at responders and non-responders when I look at a probiotic study, because there's usually reasons um, why, you know, a certain outcome happens. And what's so lovely about microbiome studies, they do heat maps. So really, literally, they can look at individual responders and heat map out like the different species because there's, you know, it's 100 trillion bacteria. It's one to one to the cells we have in our own bodies, our nucleated and non-nucleated cells. We're literally one to one cells. Their cells just happen to be smaller, um, but we're, we're the entity wise, like it really is like us, our, our other, other person, our best side, maybe. And um, so when it comes to probiotics, um, there are a lot, some, some, you know, we don't, we, we just don't have studies that show diversity or show like, oh, what's going to be the best long-term. Um, not like even, even with bioregulators or peptides, you know, we've got some of those Russian studies where they study someone, oh, they're telling me you're 16% longer after taking bioregulators, like, you know, 10 years, blah, blah, blah. But we don't quite have that with um, currently in the probiotic field, um, sadly. Um, but I'll tell you a couple studies that I really love. Um, and one is a group of studies collectively. Um, if you join any of my programs, like my microbiome, uh, microbiome medicine conferences, we have the CEUs up if you want to purchase it, if you're a health coach or a non-health coach or clinician, um, but we have seven units. And I, I go over the studies where, um, we go through chronic conditions and there's, there's a legacy in our microbiome. Um, and there's a lot of great European studies that there's a number a, a strict number, maybe about 13 to 16 keystone flora. And when people are missing them, they correspond to disease basically. And when they look at healthy controls, they look at cancer-free controls, they look at diabetes-free, chronic disease-free controls, particularly in Europe. Okay. Not, I don't like looking at us data. It's usually pretty flawed. What in Europe they find is um, there's about 13 to 16 species that are found in every healthy person centenarian, cancer disease-free, cancer-free, uh, chronic disease-free. These are truly healthy people. They're not mentally ill. They're not physically ill. They're not sarcopenic. Yeah. They're not metabolic syndrome. That's, that's our U.S. population, right? Even our healthiest is metabolic syndrome. So, yeah. yeah. So I love these studies and I share it in, in the course because we, we need to get this information out. And um, we, if you hear U.S. Um, microbiome, microbiome um, researchers, they're idiots. They think the U S people are, are like the bomb, but they don't look at the, they ignore the European data. Like there, there are a number of keystone flora found in everybody. Right. And it, these are the, particularly the ones I was telling you about the acromancia and then bifida longum yeah. and for C it's Christian Sinella and many of the clostridiolus, the, the high butyrate producers. 
there's there's good and bad. You know, there's roseburia in eulinens and roseburia. Um, there's a, a number of them that are associated with disease. Okay, but there's also some roseburia that are associated with. Um, I'm sorry, with health. Okay, but there's also some associated with with diabetes. And then yeah. same with yeah, Fecalibacterium uh, prausnitzi. Usually, it's associated with health. Okay, um, there's other species that are butyrate producers, but they're overgrowing in obese. They're overgrowing in diabetes. So they have high butyrate, actually. Now we're seeing the last 10 years, a lot of high butyrate cases, but they're, they're overgrowing in the wrong place. It's SIBO, right. small intestinal factor over, overgrowth. Yeah, right. so just like a wealth portfolio, you know, um, wealth portfolios have debt sometimes, right? You hope, you, you, what you usually hope is mortgage debt, right? Yeah. Not, not short-term, whatever, credit card, gambling, whatever, high APR debt, right? Yeah there's different levels of debt. So there's also different levels of clostridiolus. I talk about clostridiolus in general, but within the species um, and the different um, strains going on there, we have a differentiate. It's, it's like a mob family, okay? Sometimes there's, a you know, in a mob, let's say, okay, they're all like sort of criminals sort of, right? If you watch Sopranos or whatever, but there's some good ones sometimes, right? But they're all in the same family, right? That's like our species in the gut. You know, you can have the outliers, they're not bad or good. They're all in a way balancing. We, we need them actually just as much as others. We need yeast actually, candida. I'm not anti-candida or any of that or, you know, candida diet, blah, blah, blah. I think candida has a lot of roles in our body. They chelate. You know, I had a problem with mercury and heavy metals. A lot of people usually do. Um, if you don't have a healthy amount of candida, you can't chelate the heavy metals out. They make B vitamins. Guess where vegans get their freaking B vitamins? Mm-hmm. Yeast flakes. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, I think what I'm hearing you saying and what I've always believed about the gut is, and to your point, it's not about good or bad. It's about bad. Right. Mm -hmm. The more educated people, maybe people that have gone through your course, talk about an overgrowth. Yeah. Absence of versus you have candida. Well, yeah, I got candida. I also have H. pylori. I need some H. pylori. I don't Yes. I mean, I remember reading a study once years ago where they showed that, and I mean, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I'm pretty sure what they said is when they wiped H. pylori out completely out of the gut, people became obese. Like they actually developed other diseases. And it's because, you know, there's, there's this kind of, I guess at first we have this oversimplified view of how things work. And, and the gut is so mysterious, right? <laughs> that we're like, oh my God, H. pylori, that causes ulcers. We must wipe it out completely. And then the next thing you know, you've caused another problem or you've allowed another opportunistic species to take over. Yeah. Wiped out. And, and the way they wipe out H. pylori is using two antibiotics. It's the best way to grow yeast. And in, if you look at petri tree uh, studies um, and the ecosystem of our gut, H. pylori houses within candida. It lives in candida. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's why you'll never eradicate H. pylori. And you don't want to. There's a CAG A plus um, strain of H. pylori. It's highly protective against one of the most lethal cancers known as adenocarcinoma. Literally, it kills people within three to five years wow. if, they're if they're over age 40, 50. And I used to have asthma. And I, had to, I went through all these studies, like, how did I get asthma? Well, if you're missing uh, CAG A plus H. pylori, it's a higher risk for asthma as well. There's a lot of conditions related to asthma, but I, I thought that was very intriguing and, and incredible. Yeah, but you're right. It's, it's oversimplified. We don't want to just like target one species and try to knock it out. That's, that's not how the terrain management 
is is optimized. Um, it's, it really is an ecosystem, and actually, there's a lot of game game theory <laughs> in the in you know the microbiome space uh, when they talk about the ecosystem. I'm I'm not a gamer, you know, but I find it fascinating. You know, like yeah, it, it, you know, there's players and you know you know leaders and and then yeah, you know, it's anthropomorphic. You can never say that word. Yeah, I can't either. Anthrop- anthropomorphic. Yeah, and by now everybody knows what I'm trying to say. When you associate, when you assign kind of a personality and personification to an in, inanimate object, right? And we talk about the good ones and the bad ones and how they interact. And now we've got a little city going on, and then a universe. But but the fact is that it's it's incredibly complex, and I think that our diet has a big piece. Like it's not just about probiotics. I think how we feed and and I did a, I learned a lot of this in school. And then it was re-highlighted by someone we both know, Joel Green, who talks about this so much in his book and in his teachings, which is about what are the foods that you're eating, feeding in your gut? Because if you could, it's it's that whole idea, again, of going as far upstream in the body as possible and letting things fall out. Because the butyrate, if you're producing appropriate amounts of butyrate in the gut, that will help to heal your layer that will help with your and paleolithic studies seem to show like we our ancestors might have eaten 100 to 130 grams of fiber a day yeah yeah and our diets pale in comparison the paleo diet is one of the worst it's like one to three grams of fiber a day unless you're eating yeah beans and lentils are one of the strongest sources of prebiotics and fiber from fruits and apples so like i love acromancia we have many uh berries and fruits that feed acromancia. It actually loves anything also oligosaccharide related, you know, GOS, XOS, FOS, inulin. Yeah. Yeah. you feeds on mucus. So anything mucusy, you know, like taro and other tubers and roots, the uh, glucomannan, which comes from konjac is also a big, big feeder of acromancia, but it likes the bitter things. It loves polyphenols. Interesting. Yeah. So I have a feeling like through evolutionary time, we developed a high amount of acromancy in our gut and, and housed it there and attracted it there um, uh, by eating uh, gooey tubers. Every, every nation has some kind of tuber they, they enjoy. And when you um, heat it up, it, it still retains its properties as being cooked resistant starch um, because acid, um, stomach acid, keeps it as a fiber and we don't really get a lot of, it doesn't have a glycemic load much. Right. But for something like a potato, for example, you, and I'm talking about white potatoes now, not cooked, not sweet potatoes because they behave differently, but a white potato that's been cooked and then allowed to cool even for, you know, I think even for 15 minutes, it, 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 the fibers are, are still present, the prebiotic, the nature of it. And then let's say like, so they had a Thai noodle study um, Thai noodles, as you know, um, they, they use a lot of acid, you know, lime, lemons. Um, the acidity of the soup keeps the noodle as a low glycemic food. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And if you have proper acidity in your gut, most people don't if they're unhealthy. Um, you can replicate it, though. Drink warm apple cider vinegar or warm lemon juice at a meal. You're going you know, to replicate what your, your gut might be making. Our gut technically goes to pH 1 or 2. It's a, it's a lot of acid. Mm-hmm. So it acidifies and makes starches into fiber to feed acromancia as well as clostridials. And that's also like for people who just don't have enough stomach acid and then apple cider vinegar is not enough for them. We might supplement with hydrochloric acid for a period of time. There are 
clients, we do that only in the first phase at all, because by the second phase, they've healed and making their own acid again. The goal is to replicate all our rhythms, peptide rhythms, hormone rhythms, adrenal rhythms, diurnal, as well as nocturnal, get the HRV in line. Um, oxytocin rhythms is a really important one. Um, uh, so part of gut healing, um, we, uh, you know, approach people, um, for in our, in our classes, courses, and, um, our one-on-one clients is looking at the heart, heart, gut axis. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and this helps bring our probiotics up when we're healthier, when we have better hormones, we're in a low stress um, situation. Our, our bacteria literally will resurrect. Well, that makes sense, right? Because we talk about how chronic stress destroys the microbiome. Exactly. It does. Our pathogens like E. coli and others, they have actually genicity islands in their DNA pattern. Okay. Cortisol and adrenaline literally bind these pathogenicity islands in their DNA pathogens like E. coli and others, and it turns them on. They proliferate like crazy and then they go make more havoc in the gut. So more, more gut damage, right? I suspect might be like that as well too, because normally it's quiescent, it's benign. Only when it's threatened will it, you know, they our our pathogens may switch. You know, they're not necessarily going to be damaging to us, but they switch when we are stressed. So our heart gut axis has to do with the polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges. If if any people in the audience are fans, he's a really great read. Um, we implement a lot of their clinical protocols um, by Deb Dana and Stephen Porges. Because uh, hundreds of million years ago, mammals diverged from uh, other four-legged animals, right? Reptiles, birds, whatever. And we developed actually something known as the, the door, uh, apart from the dorsal vagal nerve, we have a ventral vagal nerve. Ventral would be stuck, right? Dorsal so back. Would be in the front? No, I think ventral's back. Um, okay, you're right. Um, so... Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So it innervates like the whole front and our heart. Okay. And it's myelinated. So it's really different than the rest of the vagal nerve. The uh, the rest of the vagal nerve is not myelinated. So for speed, precision, and quickness to deliver signal, it's myelinated. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason it, it diverged like that was because there's all these predators, dinosaur predators, and other quick, fast predators, right? And Mammals had to learn how to care for themselves, elderly and other vulnerable babies, you know, um, and they communicated, they had cooperation, they had creativity, they had a way to survive and thrive outside of the larger predators, like whatever was around at the time during the dinosaur age and other times of evolution. And we had a, a tremendous gift of voice and all the senses, you know, touching, um, and sounds, cooing and, and touch cuddling to soothe and co-regulate everyone's nervous system. So recently I had a client and a friend, a colleague, Dr. John Chung, he's a neuro, neuro, neuro chiro. So he's like a functional neurology chiro, one of the best. And he heals everyone's vagal nerve and all that. But he was, you know, his HRV was tanked. And then he came, he had this like emergent, you know, gut thing. He had an obstruction that required surgery. Um, but a lot of his gut problems had, you know, started earlier, he had told me, right? And he went from HRV 5060 to doubling it to 190 to 110. And I had him do an oxytocin exercise. We do this with all our clients and in our group. Do mutual massage three times a week with their partner or a friend. It could be a friend with clothes on, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And we engage love languages. Mm-hmm. Love that. Social creatures. Yeah, we co-regulate neuro- neurologically. 
And it's so important for the gut. We get instant gut healing and the pathogens that are lit up, they, they calm down, they go quiescent. And then let's say H. pylori is in candida. It'll calm down. We can even lower fungal, um, I believe, growths this way as well too. And we don't, we, you know, we, we're missing this. We get busy. We got little kids. We, you know, we got parents to take care of. We travel, you know, work, whatever, whatever, right? So he implemented this um, 20 minutes, three times a week, or, or at least I, met, I told him a minimum of two, two, once or twice a week at least. I think he ended up doing it two or three times a week with his wife. It was so beautiful. And I had them give words of affirmation to each other during the 20 minutes you know, say, Hey, Oh, I, I loved it. When you put your hand on my shoulder, I felt so touched and cared for when you looked at me in the eyes or, Oh, you know, when, Hey, when you did the dishes, um, I loved it when you did that. I felt so cared for and burdens of my work, you know, lifted up Th- things like that. Right. And then if they use essential oils, you know, then you're engaging smell and a little bit of taste, you know, taste and smell are kind of aligned like that. And in, in terms of love languages, you know, we're such, you know, high sophisticated <clears throat> cultured and, um, sophisticated communication um, for social beings, you know, we, we have love languages, right? We don't want to ignore them. And who knows really what they are for everybody. But time spent together, that's quality time, right? It's a gift to give a massage to one another. A mutual, there's safety. Yeah, there's safety and reciprocity. For gut healing, safety is actually the treatment. Yeah. We're lowering pathogens. Yeah, we have protocols. We do concurrent, concurrent protocols. We're lowering yeast and we're lowering, you know, yeast and molds and lowering bacterial overgrowth at the same time. And a lot of people have viral overgrowth, you know, all the co-infections and viral things, you know, Epstein-Barr, CMV, HHV6, Parvo, all of them, you know. So we, we have protocols that gently lower that. Fortunately, you know, a lot of these antivirals are also antifungal. So we're hitting two mechanisms of action at, at together. So I love my pharmacy background that helps me, you know, create these protocols for that. Um, so we're getting all the love languages because we're these, you know, immaculate social creatures. Um, the quality of time, words of affirmation, um, act, an act of service. Yeah. You know, some people don't care about gifts or touch. They don't want to be touched. But the act of service it's is huge. important to them. And their heart can go into a safe zone, right? Yeah. And that's the treatment. That's the gut treatment. And then what comes out of that? Spikes of oxytocin. As you know, we love peptides and injectables. You can inject it. You can stick it up your vagina. You can rectally put oxytocin. You can nasal it. It's over the counter on Amazon, right? So many ways to get oxytocin over a pill, whatever. But the best is if we make it ourselves. And then our probiotics, guess what? They make it too. I think they love to have a safe space, space haven. They don't want to live when there's havoc and candida running rampant, right? So there's this like harmony of our ecosystem that can be uh, created and it's gut healing. That's that's something different about our protocols because we're taking in account the whole whole nervous system. The whole our gut is one of the biggest nervous systems outside of the brain. It's probably the best one, better than the brain. We're, we're even Einstein doesn't like the head. Einstein said he has a variety of quotes that are so great. You know, we we ignore our heart, and then our, and then all kinds of things go to shit after that. We can't ignore our heart. Yeah, and the heart gut access. Axis is the most one of the most important for longevity. I feel if you look at centenarians, who, who survives, right? Those that have extended family mm. and community, and community both, community. they feel cared for. They feel safe yeah. and reciprocity. You know, they're they've given their whole life, and now the community, family are giving back grandchildren, and and they have their wisdom keepers. They they hold. I mean, wisdom is medicine. They they are the medicine people of the tribe. 
If you're a listener of this podcast, you're probably actively looking for ways to maximize your daily regimens and protocols. And if you haven't yet added nitric oxide to your daily wellness routine, you've got to stop and listen to the rest of this message. Throughout your body, there are over 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Nitric oxide is responsible for circulating blood to all those vessels through vasodilation. But as we age, we make less nitric oxide naturally, circulation becomes less efficient, meaning the blood carrying critical oxygen, glucose, and nutrients just isn't getting to all those miles. Berkeley Life is my go-to supplement for supporting nitric oxide levels in myself, my family, and my clients. Their daily supplement provides a powerful and precise dose of dietary nitrates, the building blocks of nitric oxide, for your body to make its own nitric oxide throughout the day. I've noticed such a difference in my energy levels, my stamina, and my recovery time. The more I learn about nitric oxide's role in the body, including its impact on oxidative stress levels and proper hormone balance, the more I encourage all my listeners and clients to incorporate it into their regimens. You can access Berkeley Life's nitric oxide support supplements by going to berkeleylife.com and using practitioner code NIDDBL to place your order when you register and check out. You will also save 10% off your first order. Once again, berkeleylife.com, practitioner code NIDDBL. And now let's get back to the show. I'm very grateful that Grace has been helping me in terms of rebalancing my microbiome in certain ways. And, you know, it's truly a holistic approach, right? You've got, not only do you have like, I'm not just sitting there taking a bunch of probiotics because I am, I'm taking a couple of different ones, but there's the antimicrobials, there's taking care of the adrenals. There's so many different pieces to this protocol. And there's the, okay, Nat, you're going to spend 20 minutes, two to three times a week. massage. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't have time for this, right? And it's like, but when you think about it, you're like, well, hold on a second. Like, and if you think back to when you first met your partner and how much time you would spend in those times physically touching each other, whether, I mean, it didn't have to be sex. I mean, it could be cuddling watching TV, lying on, stacked on top of each other, taking a shot, like whatever it is. Like if you think back to those days and, and how, um, like how many people do you know get into a new relationship? They drop all kinds of weight. They start to glow. They feel amazing. Their health starts to like become amazing. It's not a coincidence. Like what you're talking about is you're addressing the whole ecosystem that it's not just about the, the microbiome. It has to do with the environment that the microbiome is in, which is us. Like it's, you know, we're always looking to the outside saying, oh, I got to get rid of the MFs. I got to get rid of toxins. And that is true. But this, this, this gut brain and gut heart axis, that is the internal environment, like the chemical soup that we create by our state has a huge impact which is really what you're saying, which I don't think nearly enough people are talking about. Well, you talk about state, you know, and HRV, you are talking about it yeah. and all the to, you know, sustain that and, and bring it, bring it up. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah. And we need it. We need those. They help so much and we can make it ourselves. Totally. Yeah. And, and we both know like whatever we can make ourselves is going to be better than, you know, it's like using, um, and I mean, this isn't totally making it yourself, but if you're using a growth hormone secretagogue to yes. improve the body's own production of growth hormone, how much yeah. powerful is that versus doing an injection of synthetic growth hormone, which 
you know, kind of circumvents your body's own systems. It shuts down your own production. It kind of sets you up for trouble down the road. And it becomes much harder to calibrate when is too much and when is too little, where when you can get the body to do it itself. Exactly. We're seeing those pitfalls. Yeah. And the same with like, you know, using, to, you know, we're, we're in functional medicine, people that some of the practitioners just love, you know, it's a knee jerk reaction. They want to give a prescription for rifaximin. That was one of the worst antibiotics ever. It's killing both gram negative and gram positive bacteria. It's like all your bacteria are going to get wiped out. And it's so pharmaceutical now, like they killed this, uh, you know, they had a study say, oh, it doesn't grow yeast. Well, you didn't run the fucking right test on it. Of course it's going to grow yeast. Every client I know who's had any amount of rifaximin are just full of yeast. It's coming out of the eyeballs and ears and vaginas and butts. Like, of course it creates yeast. You've, yeah, so... Any far, anything too pharmaceutical, we're getting into trouble. But when they're bioidentical rhythms and bioidentical uh, mimic, mim- mimicry, I think we're getting there. And I'm so grateful for the peptides because I glutenized myself last year, last fall, and I couldn't get myself out of my fucking hole. I couldn't lose an ounce. And then I was, you know, looking at the peptides. I was like, okay, well, we were, I was like eating like an asshole in Vegas with you. <laughs> so that didn't help. Um, and I thought I'd be okay. Um, but then I, I needed, I needed help. Yeah. So I got onto like, um, some fabulous, you know, peptides, which brought me to where I am, you know, to, uh, I knew they were great. Like I taught about it in February and March and I knew, you know, I knew it's the, the, the next part. And, uh, you know, my, the favorite ones I love are all the sun derived peptides. The LL37. Yeah. And PT141 and, you know, all the melanotans family. Yeah. It's like, and they heal mold toxicity. They make people feel awesome. Yeah. 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 I didn't, look, I didn't look up at PT-141 spikes up oxytocin, but I mean, people feel so awesome. Like, well, some people do. I mean, you know, the, 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 the alpha MSH peptides, which is what we're talking about. They're a bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, some people, and you know, this is something we were talking about earlier, even even when you're talking about a peptide, like for example, semaglutide these days that, you know, people are running around singing its praises saying, oh my God, it's like, it's so good. It helps people to lose weight and it benefits all kinds of metabolic imbalances, this, that, and the other thing. But like anything else, not everybody responds well to it. And PT-141, I mean, I would say there's almost equal parts in my group, people who use PT-141 strategically with their partners and have a great night and other people who've tried and tried and tried and just end up feeling nauseous. <laughs> you know, not everybody responds the same way to these things. And I think that, you know, people like you and even me to a degree, like we're out there waving a flag going, yes, peptides are amazing. And not everybody's going to respond in the same way, no matter how great a peptide it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a science, certainly, for sure, uh, dialing more in. What do you think the biggest factor is, the mu- the immunity, the profile for immunity? Yeah, Sometimes. I think it and the person. I think people, for sure, people with underlying um, EBV, Lyme, like those co-infections, their yeah. brain is completely disrupted. And so it's they're the ones very often who mm-hmm. have a dis- they have the wonky responses to peptides. The other yeah. one. I think that really affects the way people respond to peptides is if they have heavy metal imbalances, right? right. It's affecting your biochemistry. Like it's affecting how the chemistry in your body responds to different things, or there may be receptors that are blocked. Um, There are 
be a genetic piece, right? Like that, that comes to it. But I do think for the most part, it's probably the underlying conditions that people are, are not aware of, which isn't to say that those people can't use peptides. They just have to be smarter. They have to go lower and slower than everybody else. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm seeing like um, the MOTC, the mitochondrial targeted ones, the anti-inflammatory ones like KPV. If they're, if they're at low dose and then gradually titrated for these really delicate flowers, you know, people with mold and co-infections or both um, and heavy metals or not, though they tend to respond way, way better. And even with BPC, our Wolverine cocktail, TB4 and um, BPC, they don't it's going to kill them. Like they have to start so low or even like sublingually, like delicately and titrated, but when they can be used, it seems like it's so powerful, mm-hmm. um, worth it. Um, in some degrees, um, I love TB4. Yeah. So one study I was teaching on is the scalp study. Yeah. The, the scalp study. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a you know, a, a plethora of, uh, microbiome studies for, uh, dermatite, uh, uh, seborrheic dermatitis, which is basically dandruff. Yeah. Um, you know, hundred percent of all our clients, you know, when they come to us have some version of some dandruff because of the fungal overgrowth, you know, when we query them and it's, uh, they put TB4 topical head to head with our gold standard, which is a topical antifungal called ketoconazole. Yeah. Yeah. When they, when they looked at stopping, um, okay. So symptoms improved with both. And, um, they looked at the microbiome studies, when TB4 was stopped, the symptoms didn't come back. And when they looked at the microbiome study, TB4 topical actually resurrected the microbiome in a healthy scalp biome, a skin biome. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty remarkable. Like we don't see that in general, like maybe with bioidentical, but you're, you'd be really lucky to see that. Or maybe with my protocols, because we're hitting viral fungal and uh, bacterial. Okay. Uh, Seborrheic dermatitis is a lot of things. It's strep. It's a lot of, you know, skin pathogens that are bacterial. It's also hugely um, malaysia and other um, fungal overgrowths, yeast, a little bit of candida, but it's a, it's the skin yeast. So when they use the ketoconazole, they did see fungal populations go down, but made no dent in the bacterial populations that cause seborrheic dermatitis. And then as soon as they stopped, those fungal entities came back. Yeah. And all their symptoms came back. So let me ask you about the TB4 topical. So how would, how would you do that? Do you just reconstitute it in, in whatever and apply it? Or do you, I think I've only seen it compounded in a compounding pharmacy. So we'd have to ask like some of the labs, like how they would recommend um, with integrated peptides, which I love. Um, we use it topically by gut orally. So it heals the gut and resurrects, helps to resurrect. The dose is not very effective. We push it. I have people do six to eight a day. It is not very cost-effective. Yeah. No. Not cost-effective at all. I know. Same with BPC. Um, some of the labs have the um, acetylated. This is acetylated. And so orally, it's really great. It goes in. If it's an acetylated BPC in a vial, you can inject it into a fish oil cap. And they do this with equine medicine, you know, horse veterinary medicine. This is how they get uh, anti-inflammatory benefits in racehorses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it works. Um, so we can open this. NSAIDs will cause a esophageal sphincter to loosen up and break. This will fix it. The BPC. Yeah. 
open it up or you take sublingual BPC, you know, you squirt it in your mouth. I know Ben did it. It's actually legit. You guys, if you have an acetylated BPC in a vial, um, uh, some, some, some labs have that. Um, so if you open this, you'll get the same effect. Um, not everybody tolerates BPC. Like I have moldy people, co-infection people, they hate, hate this and they fucking hate me after I gave it to them. I thought, oh, you know, but we, we just start low, 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 if that's the case. And we got to just grind it up really tiny, tiny, delicately until they can tolerate a little more, but it does happen. It does happen. And you don't want to push it because you can, you know, these people are autoimmune. Mm-hmm. They have 15 million autoimmune diseases already, whether they're detectable or not. And you don't want to, this is a peptide. You don't want them allergic to this or their own BPC. So starting low, go slow is good. And doing the immune modulation. We do a couple um, things. This is the best immune modulator, getting the right probiotics. Sometimes this isn't for everybody, but it is for like 90% of people. So this is microbiome mojo. Yeah, I have yes. that. Yes. <laughs> it has two probiotics in one here. Yeah. Yeah, so it's got the Bifid Maximus, which is our signature product. We're kind of out right now, but, um, and then it has a second category of spore-based, soil-based probiotic. They're bacilli, they're novel to the American market, and they pump out a bunch of good antioxidants and uh, vitamins like B2, riboflavin. We get low when we have a lot of fungal overgrowths. Yeah, so I, yeah, the BP, the TB4 frag, um, this particular acetylated frag, uh, I don't haven't opened it into a capsule into water. You probably can and get healing topically. I think you could put this, uh, there's fillers. I wouldn't do this one, but if you had the frag like from can lab, you could probably put it topically into, um, some dosage form, uh, like a gel or serum or lotion or aloe vera gel, or I don't know how stable it would be. Well, I think, I mean, I think that it would be interesting. I mean, even if you put it in aloe vera, I think that it'd be interesting to see what it did. Yeah. Aloe itself has its own healing properties. Absolutely. The interesting thing about the integrative peptides TV4 is it's not the full, it's the fragments. It's different fragments of TV4, which is why they can be taken orally. If it was the whole TV4, it would get broken down. So the one to four one frag. That's the one. That's the one I'm actually using right now too, which is antifibrotic. I think it's got a few different ones in there. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so let's. Um, I'm trying to think. We don't have that much time left, and I wanted. There's other things. Other things I wanted to talk. Maybe you know, just to finish off, let's talk a little bit about the microbiome and and the immune system because by the time this podcast airs, we'll be moving back into winter, and. Yes immune support is going to be all over everybody's mind. And I think that if there's one thing that's been neglected over the last couple of years, it's how do we support our microbiome so that it can support our immunity? Yes. So I, I, I really, you know, the best studies we have for probiotics is on travelers, gastroenteritis, and also antibiotic induced, um, antibiotic associated uh, adverse effects like diarrhea, AAD, antibiotic associated diarrhea, AAD. Um, Probiotics are the best. You want to find a probiotic that works for you, you know, that doesn't have um, side effects or problems. We, for healing, we tend to avoid probiotics um, that contain anything that has yeast, you know, because we're battling yeast and most people have antibodies to yeast. So we don't want to trigger that. It's just like if someone is allergic to gluten, we don't make them eat gluten four times a day. You know, we avoid gluten for a number of weeks, you know, to heal the immune system. So we also avoid strep. Strep is a big overgrowth and we can see it on GI maps toolkits or other toolkits like Genova's or any other ones. 
Um, microbiome labs probably has a really good one as well. Um, we like to look at the oat. We presume everyone has strep. It's just so common. It's our, it's one of our, uh, skin and ear, nose, throat, and eye bacteria. It's, it's supposed to be found in healthy amounts in healthy people. Um, after antibiotics, that's not the case. It's overgrowing. And people usually have antibodies to it try, as, a, as a manner to try to eliminate it. Um, the problem is those antibodies start to hit other neuro, nervous system tissues, nervous system tissues, you know, or other organs, you know. So you've heard of rubella, well, I mean, sorry, you've heard of like um, blindness related to scarlet fever or room, you know, heart valve issues with um, that, that's all strep related. So we also see people with like personality changes and mood issues. Um, it's all strep. So we avoid strep uh, probiotics. Uh, and VSL number one is terrible. It has such a high amount of strep. We completely have people not consider that it's not very immune positive uh, because of the strep component. And there's a couple other brands out there. You want to look at, read it because it gets snuck in there. It's a very cheap probiotic. It's food-based and not human-based and it'll be in there. It'll be not good for the immune system. It'll show up as streptococcus on the label. Yeah, it'll say streptococcus thermophilus is the common one, but we have a couple good ones that are shown to reverse cavities. But if someone is having the antibodies, if they take enough, like strep salivarius, and there's a few others, they'll actually trigger their immune system and autoimmunity. And you want to avoid that because we're trying to heal the immune system. We don't, we don't, we don't want to do, to do anything that will trigger. And it's only because I've seen this happen a number of times. Um, I made this, you know, kind of ban to use uh, strep containing probiotics for a number of, of time, but probiotics are shown. Like I know when I'm traveling, I don't get diarrhea. I take a lot of probiotics. I, I have a powder form too, and I'll just take a scoop every day. You know, people go to Bali, they get mm. Bali belly, you know, or they go to a foreign country where they don't have hygienic water. Um, they will get um, horrible diarrhea, if not even life-threatening diarrhea where they, I've heard of people open, they, they shower in India and they open, they happen to open their mouth, drink a little gulp of water. Oh my God. The next thing they know, they're in the fucking ER yeah. pooping out blood and their health is irrevocably changed after that. They are not the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. So if you actually take probiotics, they're shown to help travelers and neuritis. All of them do. Most of them do, but ours are, are particularly because of the dose. It will help, help, help a lot. Now for immune um, basis, you know, there was like a flaxseed study against um, for uh, coronavirus. Guess what? It worked. You know, when you feed the, the flora, the good flora, you will be protected against all kinds of viruses, including all the common flu ones, respiratory viruses and coronaviruses. Coronaviruses are all part of our living, you know, situation um, since the dawn of time. Animals have it, we have it. It's not a common part of our influenza vaccine because there's something called cross-reactivity. <laughs> when you are antiviral against influenza, you're not so viral against corona and you're gonna have a two to five time increased chance of getting it. <laughs> so if you want really good immunity, don't get the flu vaccine is my, is my thoughts for you people, but you know, depend, talk to your doctor and your healthcare team. I wanted to ask you for the travelers probiotics. What about Saccharomyces boyardi as a, as a, it, so it's not a probiotic. It's actually, it is a yeast, right? Um, probiotics are anything that helps life. Right. So with Saccharomyces boyardi as a, like, that's what I usually travel with because if I get diarrhea, I find that it, it stops it right away. Yeah, it may help. There are probably better ways. Um, if you check your ASCA, it's the anti-Saccharomyces cerevisiae antibody. Um, we find it mild to heavily elevated in anyone with chronic health health issues. Right. And it's just because it's the number two, no, Candida, number, and Candida and Saccharomyces are number one or number two. They, they vie for the top 
fungal spot in our mycobiome. Myco means our yeast biome or mold and fungal biome. So myco is M-Y-C-O. They kind of vie in there. It depends on the person. Yeah. So we tend to make antibodies to it. And um, there are different labs like Cyrix labs. You know, they were the earliest to see, you know, a lot of autism and spectrum were antibodies against candida attacking the corpus callosum or parts of the brainstem or other parts of the brain. There's cross, and we see this molecular mimicry with all autoimmunity, you know, it could be joint, could be thyroid, could be ankylosing spondylitis, could be PCOS is a form of autoimmunity. There's cysts that form because of an immune attack. And there's, yeah. And even infertility, they find anti sperm DNA, you know, like we have all shades of 50 shades of autoimmunity. Now we just, we just don't have a name for it. Okay. So as we're winding down, I do want to leave people with an idea of the gut tests that you use. So you talked about the organic acids test that you really like. You talk about GI map. Are there others that people should be looking at or some are some better for something than others? So there are a lot of tests out on market. I have to, we were joking. Um, I'm, I'm a big, you know, promoter of all of them. They're also sponsors for my events. So I do take, my company takes money from them. Um, I like all of them and they're all shitty. <laughs> they're all terrible. We're in the dark ages of lab testing right now. Yeah. I mean, we're, we nothing. Do nothing. I think, I think a big piece of it is understanding that they're limited. It's a little bit like genetic testing, right? It gives you some information. It's not the Holy grail. And if, yeah. you, if you put it all into context and take it with a grain of salt, and have a professional guiding you because they're more likely to be less. Right. You have a coach or a practitioner working with you. They're not going to be absolute about stuff. Right. Yeah. That's why I love teaching coaches how to read the available tests we have. Yeah. Um, we, everything we do focus on, on our heart, our gut, our immune system. 80% of our immune system is in our gut. In fact, it, it probably is our flora. Yeah. They turn on and on all the lovers. Um, they make antimicrobial peptides. They make all kinds of signals. They also make crap that block receptors. Like literally they, they can make crap that block glucose receptors and uh, insulin receptors, as well as thyroid receptors and even serotonin receptors. Like they make a lot of pollution and crap if you don't have the right ones in there. They also make wonderful things to clear out the crap. And um, so testing, you know, I like the organic acid test. Um, it's not ideal because it won't tell you your species available. Uh, that they're there. They only look at the uh, markers that come from the flora, uh, good and bad, and the ones that make it to the blood that make it also to the urine after filtration and that you urine out. But what I love about it is it shows us oxalates and the degree of fungal versus bacterial overgrowth. Everyone's got, tends to have it, you know, if they're not ideal, lean and happy, healthy people, and, you know, any kind of chronic disease will like uh, interface with the microbiome and the markers will show it. And anyone with chronic malabsorption, you'll see it. There's like 10 or 12 uh, nutrient markers. We really want them down the middle and we want all the protein to be absorbed well. The last page shows us um, calcium phosphate and the proteins. And really rarely do people have all the digestive enzymes and acid on board to get perfect digestion where they don't need amino acids. Um, so I like the test because it gives us our antioxidant markers, our nutritional chronic malabsorption, you know, uh, picture, um, you don't have to run a spectra cell or other stuff like, you know, fancy stuff like that. Um, and you see the first nine markers are fungal. The other nine markers, 10 to 18 are bacterial. Right. And then you can get a picture of just, you know, 
there are enterotypes. Some are more heavy on mold and fungal. Others are more heavy on the bacterial side, strep and pseudomonas and, you know, skin and, and other ones, Klebsiella um, for autoimmunity. So, but it, but everyone's got all of them. And that's why it's great to work with a practitioner who might know our protocols because um, you want to also look at the viral component. This test will not tell you the viral component. When you pull a conventional lab, you know, if you're looking at white count being really devastatingly low or, you know, problems like with iron because you have a co-infection that is eating up all the iron in the red blood cells, you know, then the viral and co-infection picture really becomes more open. And what we're looking at immunity because 80% of immunity is the gut or um, the flora there we want to look at immune patterns. So I like looking at antibodies. This mm -hmm. is how our immune system is flexing. Right. You know, strength and condition it. You know, if it's making too many antibodies, the wrong antibodies, yeah, it's not, not so good for longevity. It's not detrimental. I was looking at a couple of centenarian studies, you know, like there's a group of centenarians, hardly any autoantibodies. And then there's another group of really healthy centenarians somewhere. They had tons of autoantibodies. Didn't mean shit. Didn't mean shit. But for my purposes, we'll see the autoantibodies to candida and yeast, the ASCA marker, which LabCorp will run to, and uh, anti-candida markers. Um, we like, I like the Great Plains one because you just poke yourself and then you get the whole uh, anti-candida picture. Um, but we'll see these antibodies improve. For a while, I track mine because I got myself into trouble again. And then my, I was tracking my antibodies every month. And I had like high fucking fungal antibodies and then they, came, and they normalized, but it takes time. And so we don't check those too often, you know, it literally, you know, takes six months probably. And same with the oat. After we check it once, we're not going to check it again. It It's forever to fix the oat. Right. Interesting. And so it's as big as a tennis court. I think actually when it's broken, it's like a football field. It's forever to fix it. That's why it is ideal for people to go through four phases, you know, look at oxytocin, look at HRV, you know, relationships in the heart, you know, what forgiveness do we need to offer people that we've hurt or forgive people who have hurt us, you know, and get the safety, the reciprocity. We, we have to be reciprocal to ourselves. Some people are so terrible in their inner talk, right? They're worse to themselves than they would be to their dog or, you know, their friends. Like, what the fuck? You, you have to take care of your heart. It's attached to your gut and you will never heal immunity if, if then that negative talk is going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's part of that stress environment for sure. So you talk about the oats test. Are there any poop tests that you consider to be good? So is it the... I mean, I would run the Genova on everybody, but it's honking like $500, $700 cash, right? The GI map is great. It's like $500. Um, the oat, the Great Plains has a really simple CDSA parasite panel, yeah. I mean, all of them are kind of used. Stools are all kind of useless. We've run thousands on, you know, seen, I've looked at thousands and run like hundreds and hundreds. They're all the same, you know, it's the same stuff all the time. The, the poop is the worst because it's the last meter and a half of the gut. You can't really even begin to understand, know anything about the upper gut, your nose, throat, where we have a lot of disease happening and the interface of our small intestine is where the interface of health happens we have no really good way except for the organic acid okay. because whatever we're going there will end up in the blood and, and urine at some point, but we just don't know the species. We, we have to do presumptive based on microbiome studies where they match the disease to the microbiome pattern. They're all about the same, you know, they're not that far off, you know, and really it's the depletions, you know, just as someone's building a wealth portfolio, you got to have the right things that are asset building and dividend, you know, building, um, 
over time and compounding if possible. That's the same with our gut. You, we want to make sure what's there. And what's so lovely about the gut is once we get them in there, these do the work. Right. These are antiviral. These are antifungal. These are antibacterial. These are anti-coronavirus for us. When they're fed well, they make peptides. They're known as AMPs. We know we've known about these for like, you know, you know, uh, over 50 years. Um, the AMPs are powerful. When we feed them, they make even spiral ones and loopy round circular peptides. I mean, we don't have peptides like that, right? But they're circular and they're powerful and they're even anti-borrelia, anti-Lyme. Nice. Someday we'll probably get the little jabby, but you know, until then, if we get them in here, there we'll feed them. So that's, so you're holding up your, your microbiome mojo there. And then I think, I guess also like the, the very diet is the other way to cultivate. It's very hard to, res- okay, unlike that TB4 topical study, gut is a little different. It's hard to resurrect what's not there. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the combination of the colonizing yes. with then the food that feeds it and encourages it to stick around, really. Yes. Yes. And then getting a peptide rhythm, right? Working with you and getting that peptide rhythm or, and learning how to do that. Yeah. There, there's all these levers we can just optimize. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So Miss Grace, where can people find you? Because you do, so you have a bunch of education on your website, which is the getinstitute.com. You sell amazing products, but you also offer either through yourself or through your coaches, one-on-one consults so that people can start to really navigate based on what's going on with them. What is it that they're going to need to kind of find their balance again? They'll get some customized protocols or in our class. Um, I'm at the getinstitute.com. Yeah. And our Facebook, we do Facebook lives um, a lot. You can see our vault of different topics. And um, usually it's Tuesday, two o'clock Pacific or and five, five o'clock um, Eastern. Nice. You'll, you'll see me there. If you have questions, just come and ask me. So, and so the Facebook uh, page is the Gut Institute? Gut Institute Facebook page, right. Exactly. And on Instagram, the Gut Institute. Yes. Yes. And guys, you can also go to thegutinstitute.com forward slash nat. And there's an array of beautiful products there um, for you to look at. But definitely, I would really recommend people do a consult with someone before they just, you know, willy-nilly start throwing things into their gut. Because I've learned this from you and I've learned this from so many other people that it's, we're not all the same and we don't all need the same thing at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for you, Natalie, for all my peptide thoughts and training and guidance. You've helped me to cut some of the gut protocols in half. Did? The peptides. Yes. So, so just in deep, deep gratitude to you. Thank you for blessing my life and my practice. And to you, you're fixing my gut, which has been, you know, kind of this mess for a long time. So thank you for all your help. So my pleasure. Grace, we will be back here. I'm pretty sure we will do another episode at some point. So thank you so much for your time today. Love it. Can't wait. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. 
It's a short application. Just answered a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.